0: John chapter 10, verse 39 says, Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand, and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode or stayed. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity, this responsibility, Lord. Thank you for these faithful people who have come in the middle of the week for no other reason than to obey your word and to hear your word. And I pray you'll bless them for it, bless all of us for it. And help us as we open up your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who have been here the past several weeks or so, you've probably noticed this theme, if you will, that we've been teaching and preaching on that concerns perspective. And I mean seeing things biblically concerning time and eternity. Days, what is a day, what is an hour, a year, and so on. And of course, that included last Wednesday night's message when we noted the word daily. When our Lord Jesus gave that wonderful admonition about taking up your cross, but he added the word daily, take up thy cross every day. As Paul said, I die daily. Taking up the cross, dying to self, if you will, has to occur every single day because every day a living sacrifice, as Paul says, the Hebrew says, a living sacrifice always wants to crawl off the altar. Before that text, there was Luke 13 when Jesus said, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. And then, of course, the cup of nostalgia we spoke on from Ecclesiastes 7. People always looking in the past and the good old days and so on. And the best uh, day of your life we spoke on on a sunny morning from Hebrews 4. So So far, it's pretty much been this. Be grateful every day. Be selfless every day. Die to self. Be present every day. This is the day which the Lord hath made. Be helpful every day and then tonight. I want us to notice the glory, this power of being faithful every single day. Now, I have long been intrigued by the testimony about John the Baptist that others said of him down in verse 41. Look at it again. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle. Now, we've preached on that since it was our Lord who said there's never been a greater man born among women uh, other than John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born. At that time was, according to Jesus' own testimony, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the cousin of our Lord Jesus who leaped in the womb, who you may remember baptized Jesus himself, who lived out in the wilderness in deprivation um, as he chose to do, martyred for his faith. This John, this great prophet, did no miracles. How is that possible? is a reminder, beloved, of the power and the blessing of a simple life of faithfulness. And especially so when you notice the Holy Spirit has contrasted that statement with the very next chapter. Go back to verse 41. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle. But all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Now a certain man, notice the word now, this is a a continuation, if you will. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Wow, we are about to go from, quote, John did no miracle to now we're going to read about the greatest miracle in all of the Bible and arguably in all of human history. We just preached on the blessings of Bethany in this very text in John 11 a couple weeks ago, Lazarus being raised from the dead. That resurrection was as glorious as as a miracle could ever be. However, there's something about this long chapter of 57 verses that goes right back to the greatest man ever born, John, who did no miracles. You see, this chapter, beloved, is full of miraculous, supernatural, exciting, mind blowing acts and truths, the kind that you would expect from the Bible and from the life of Christ. However, You must realize, and I'm sure you do, that most of the details given in John chapter 11 are not in reference to the actual resurrection, the glory, the amazing part, the resurrection of the man Lazarus. We just read in verse 1 that Lazarus was sick. Well, you have to read, do you realize, all the way down from there to verse 44 before you ever come to the actual resurrection and the miracle. In other words, along with the glory and along with the wonder, the miraculous events of the story of Lazarus, there are in this chapter that remains by God's design something else that He obviously wants us to see. Something that is just as true, just as important, just as needful for the people of God to know as much as anything else in the Word of God. I want you to remember that this whole idea of time Days, years, as opposed to eternity. All of this, according to the book of Genesis, is given by God and in God's Word. There was a beginning and there was a a starting point, if you will, to all time. We all live by time. We understand time. We're born into it. But there was a beginning and before it existed in creation. The evening and the morning were the first day, the first day ever. And of course, in like manner, it is in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where we find and learn that sometime in the future, all of these measurements of time that we've been preaching about, all of them, which had a beginning, will also one day have an ending. In other words, there was a beginning of what we call time. A day, that's a week and a year. And one day there's going to be the end of all time. Now here's what this means. This means that you and I were born and we live and we will die right now between those two places in eternity. Our entire existence is essentially what we will call an in-between time. And so it is that throughout the Bible you can find and see that so often the people of God are confronted with this this in-between. We are confronted with these extremely... Ordinary, conventional, tedious, routine, commonplace experiences of day-to-day life. You know, Hollywood has had a long tradition of telling stories to our little young ones of getting out and getting away from the dull, ordinary, boring life of a small town and finding fame and or fortune in the big city. Even Bell, you know Bell sings those lyrics, there goes the baker with his tray, like always, same old bread and rolls to sell, every morning just, when want sing it? Every morning just, no, I won't sing it. Every morning just the same, since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town. And of course, her great line is, there must be more than this provincial life. Bonjour, bonjour, and so on provincial. You know, it's a drag to live in that old provincial town where everything is the same every day. I've sometimes used the word prosaic, you've heard me use this. Prosaic right along with the word province, it's it's prose and poetry. Prosaic is everyday life. It's boring life. People will talk about the prosaic life of a hard-working farmer, born on the farm, works, lives dies on the farm. And of course, nobody likes that, right? Hollywood certainly doesn't like it. Nobody wants the common, routine, standard issue, unexceptional, usual workaday days. We want the big time days, red letter days, extraordinary, exciting, uncommon, miraculous, atypical, phenomenal days. We want those things to accompany our lives just like that, that romance novel we read or that movie we watched. I remember in 1993, I was sitting at the McDonald's over on US-1 and near to Quest, and a song came in the radio called Ordinary World. I'd never heard it before. It'd never been really played much before, and you know the lyrics. Some of you do anyway. I won't cry for yesterday. There's an ordinary world somehow I have to find as I make my way to the ordinary world, I will learn to survive. And you know, that song was number one for the longest time. So whenever I go to a restaurant or TJ Maxx, you would hear that song, and it's because it resonates. Not just with the drugs and the fame of Duran Duran and having to go back to the ordinary world from all that exciting and excitement then, but it's what most people in in our Western culture thrive for. It's survival in the ordinary world. But you see, folks, listen, it's called ordinary for a reason. And the reason is it's most of life. It is 99% of our days on this earth. There are far more prosaic days in our lives than there are poetic days, if you think of it in earthly terms. I think about Moses the other day. You know, Moses believed God's promise, and in believing God's promise, he took the bones of Joseph to the promised land, just as Joseph requested in faith that he would do 400 years before. What an amazing moment. What an amazing scene. What an amazing thought. After four centuries, they're still carrying around the bones of Joseph because he wanted them to be buried in the promised land. That is poetry. That's the stuff to make a movie about. But don't forget that Moses had to haul those bones around the wilderness for 40 long years. That's prosaic. It's very fun, it's always fun, to focus on Abraham saw an angel by his tent. Oh man. Can you imagine? You're looking out out in the desert and you see these men coming and, and, you know, it's hazy and they're kind of like uh, fuzzy looking, and they get closer, and all of a sudden you realize this is an angel of the Lord. Whew. It's exciting. That's poetry. But who wants to preach about the 185 years Abraham lived when there was no angel at his tent? I mean, he had a long life, 185 years. Traveling mostly in deserts. That's a hard life. We're sitting here in air conditioning. Abraham had none of that. 185 years with his bickering, dysfunctional family. And yet Abraham is held up as the supreme example of living by faith. And sure enough, in this text, right after it says John did no miracle, we have in John 11, John 12, this perfect example of the ordinary. The in-between times being highlighted by the extraordinary. You all know the story, and again, we preached on it two weeks ago. Lazarus died. He's a dear friend of the Lord Jesus. He's sick of of an illness, so much so that he dies of the sickness. And precisely because the Lord Jesus delayed his coming is the reason he died. He died. He was embalmed. He was buried. Happens every day, thousands and thousands and thousands of times all over the world. The only thing is, if you know this story, you know the rest of the story. You know that not only was Lazarus, would he be raised again to life in a few days, that he's soon going to be sitting down and eating dinner with the very family, his sisters and others, who had mourned for him. But you know, in John 12, John 11, they don't know this. They don't know that. They're living everyday days. Now, they know some things. They know that Jesus has, for example, later on in the chapter, he's arrived. They know that there's this future hope for Lazarus, which we all have at this very moment. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, a resurrection someday, the Bible promises of all believers. They know there's hope. But they don't know when that resurrection is going to happen. They don't know how it's going to happen. And the proof of that is seen in some of these words. And I want you to look at them for a moment. Look at chapter 11, verse 32. When Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying in him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother Lazarus had not died. He wouldn't have died. In other words, these women have found themselves in one of the very familiar, very powerful, commonplace days of life. They're frustrated. They're brokenhearted. There's nothing in, in the world more ordinary than life, Sickness and death. Do you know how many funerals I just, I'm one preacher, one person. How many funerals I myself have conducted in the last 36 years here? There's nothing more ordinary than living, getting sick, and dying. And yet it's in the midst of all of this that our Lord acts in a remarkable, and I must say, if you're honest about it, a surprising way. And he does so, and in doing so, reminds us of the nature and the reality of of what it means to be faithful, of the common, ordinary, everyday lives. What are they like? Because you're in one right now. This is an ordinary day. Far as I know, nobody resurrected is going to walk through those doors. Say, hey guys, it's me. That would be crazy. Awesome. This is an ordinary day. What are they like? Number one, their days of languishing, their days of sorrow. Look at verse 31, would you? The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her. why they comfort her? Because she needed it. When they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out and followed her saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. They assume she's going to go run and weep some more at the grave of her brother. When Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he, Jesus, groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's a tough day. In other words, a long time ago, the Lord Jesus came upon a scene in a little town called Bethany. And just outside of Jerusalem, he saw these people that he loved. His followers, his friends. And all that he saw in that entire scene was one thing, sorrow, heartache, loneliness. Mary was crying. Her sister Martha was crying. All of their friends, all of the Jews who knew him, the family members, they were all all languishing as well. Why? Because that's normal life. They were doing it, obviously, because it's a very sad time when a loved one, as young as Lazarus, gets sick and dies. And they have been weeping and crying over this now for days. And some would look on this scene, and a lot of TV preachers these days certainly would, and they would say, what a terrible example of faithlessness and of doubt. Mary, where's your faith? Martha, where's your faith? You must have believe if you want to achieve. Every day is Friday and so on. Well, first of all, understand Mary and Martha had faith. They had faith in this very moment. Remember, they both said, Lord, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. That's faith in Jesus and his power. Had you been here, he would have been cured and healed. They believed it. But even more importantly, they believe this. Look at verse 27. She said unto him, Yea, Lord, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Amen. She believed it. She also showed faith, by the way, back in verse 24. Martha saith unto him, Martha did, I know that he, my brother, shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's faith. In fact, I'll say that's a lot of faith. He's dead. He's gone. I'm weeping. But I know this. I know he's going to rise again at the last day. Well, they had faith, Pastor. Why are they all crying? According to my favorite prosperity preacher, all these tears are negative confessions that God cannot bless. Really? What about the tears in verse 35? Jesus wept. Now God's weeping. Did he have lack of faith? The Bible says that Jesus wept in this scene. It is a reminder to me and to all of us that as Jesus approached the tomb of Lazarus, he was also in the midst, right in the midst of an everyday, ordinary, common day of living in this world. In fact, you'll know it's not long after this occasion that you find our Lord Jesus himself crying in the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing, the Bible says, in the shadow of the cross that lie before him. You know that our Lord spent almost all of his entire life on earth enduring the tears of just ordinary life. He's 30 years of age nearly when he comes on the scene for public ministry. That's a long time to live in the first century under Roman rule and oppression. It's a long time of obviously seeing his own earthly half-father die and his mother weep. You know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago the tension of verse 3. Look at it again. It says, therefore his sisters, Lazarus' sisters, sent unto him Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest... The man you love is sick. Can I ask you a question? If Jesus is God and he loves someone, God loves someone, Jesus loves someone, how would you finish verse 3? Lord, he whom thou lovest is wealthy. Lord, he whom thou lovest is successful. God, he whom thou lovest is happy and healthy. Now, sometimes all of that's true. But can I remind you that sometimes it's also true to say, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. Of course it's true. He whom thou lovest is poor, is in pain, has lost his job. It is true, and it's okay. Because God knows exactly what it is like to weep and mourn in the ordinary, everyday world. And that's not all. Because not only is life in this world sometimes a a time of languishing, but number two, it's also a time of laboring. I want you to look at this with me, would you? This is interesting, verse 38. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself. He was burdened about all this. Groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith to him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Now, follow this carefully. And I'm not going to belabor this point because I have preached on that text as well. Some of you old-timers will remember. But you do realize that Jesus could have performed this miracle. He is bringing a man from the dead, after all, who's already corrupted. Of course, Jesus could have performed this miracle without these men putting their shoulders on the stone and pushing it with all their strength. Of course. In verse 44, Jesus tells the people, quote, to loose him and let him go, remove all of those grave clothes, the embalming clothes that, that they had put on before. Now, he didn't have to do it that way. In fact, the official portrait, if you will, of the resurrection of Lazarus could well have been this beautiful oil painting from the Renaissance of, you know, a man miraculously ascending above and out of the tomb that he was in, right there in front of him. That's poetic. That's amazing. But the official portrait, as it really happened, shows these men with their arms and shoulders pushing against a stone and then unraveling and removing all of the embalming work that had recently been done before. So that in other words, before the glory, and the ooh, I got goosebumps. Before the glory of the resurrection, there was everyday life. There was work that had to be done. And more specifically, there was actually work that Jesus gave the people to do. You do this and you do that. And I just have to tell you, beloved, in these ordinary days of life, before, during time, before we get to the glory of eternity, there will always be stones to remove and grave clothes to unravel on behalf of those who are bound by sin. You know, when you walk into the hallways out there and you see those missionary boards and those letters, what do you see? Pastor, I see miracles. I look at those, those, those letters and I read them and I see spiritual blessings that, that bless my socks off. Amazing, amazing what God has done with those missionaries. Amen. But let me tell you what I see. I see a lot of timeless labor and work. A ton of work. For one thing, it took a lot of work by a lot of mechanics and engineers and nurses and roofers and farmers and firemen who gave of their labor to send the support to put those missionaries on the field. The money didn't fall out of the sky. That's the first work. But then there's the early labors, if you will, and endless labor of the missionaries themselves who spent years in training They spent years in training and preparation, deputation and traveling, packing and unpacking and preaching and studying and knocking on doors and calling and waiting and praying and witnessing and counseling and training, dragging their families here and there. Matter of fact, I'm going to have Rick show you a video in a minute. I want to illustrate this because we have time. Most of you know I had a few very close friends in Bible college one of them, his name is Terry Angel. He's been pastoring for about as long as I have here up in, up in Illinois. And Terry had a son named Ben. I remember when Ben was born. And Ben Angel. And he's a missionary now that we've been supporting for about 17 or 18 years. And just a couple days ago, I received this video of the work in Madagascar. And Let me tell you about Madagascar. I mean, the only thing I ever knew about Madagascar was, you've got to move it, move it. You know the cartoon? <laughs> it's a tough field. Tough. Outsiders, no. But he felt called. He and his wife, young couple, came by our church. 16, 17 years ago. And so 17 years later, um, of course, I, I read his letters all the time, he sends this video and I want you to look at it real quick, okay? It's about four minutes
1: long. Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the future home of the Faith Baptist Church of Voni, It's hard to believe we started this project uh, in September of last year and it's almost done. We're nearing the finish line, and excited about what God has been doing. Uh, we want to give you a quick update on where we are in the project because many of you have been praying for us and quite a lot of you have given to help us with this project so want to give you a quick uh, update of where we are. You can see uh, what's taken place so far, what we've accomplished, and what there is left to do. Hope you enjoy the tour. Okay, well I want to give you a quick tour of the building. Over here uh, is, the, is the pastor's office, and this, is, this will be the church office when we get it completed. Still got to paint it and put some tile in there. Uh, under, under here, this area you see right here, uh, it's a place where the cars can pull up uh, and, and you can unload or load if it's raining. Uh, it's also a place we can do fellowships or, or just whatever we want to do, so it's very useful. Uh, this room right here is where we are currently meeting for church while we wait for the auditorium upstairs to be done. And uh, we made it to be, uh, it, it can be a big room for like Junior Church or Bible Institute, because we have Bible Institute in here, uh, or fellowships, whatever. And uh, we can also divide it into four smaller rooms for Sunday school classes, so that's h- how this room will work. And uh, back there in the back, if you, can, if you can see, but back there in the back is the kitchen. And with the place you can pass the food back and forth. So uh, that, that'll be a help when we have fellowships. Back here in the back are the bathrooms. This is a simple storage area here. This is, this will is, be the church nursery right here. And uh, again, it's almost done. Our bathrooms are back here in the back. Uh, The men's and ladies' restrooms, they will be done, Lord willing, by this Friday. So we're excited about that, Uh, even with uh, the the tile uh, in this hallway. So that's getting close to being done, praise the Lord. So that's the downstairs. We're gonna go up and look at the auditorium on the second floor right now. This is the main door into the auditorium, so let's go in here. This is where the platform is gonna be. And uh, back here behind the platform, is the baptistry. The, the architect uh, is Catholic so I don't think he understands biblical baptism and he made the window pretty small so we got to make the window bigger so the whole church can see. But you can see it's, uh, it's there's not much left to do in here. I mean there is a few things to do but uh, this is pretty much done uh, except for the finished work obviously. So but we're excited about uh, having church up here eventually. I think we can seat about 250 to 300 people comfortably, Malagasy standards, uh, in this auditorium. So we're, we're really excited about uh, moving up here when it's done. Well, I hope you enjoyed the tour. Hope you enjoyed uh, seeing the building. And you know, we sure are excited about it. Please pray with us. We'd love to dedicate and, uh, the building uh, the last Sunday of June. So we're working really hard to finish the project uh, by that time. We still need to put tile down. Uh, upstairs in the auditorium and in some rooms downstairs we need to put a drop ceiling in uh, build a build a platform uh, some pews some sound equipment and uh, doors and windows so there's still quite a lot to do so please pray with us that God would supply the 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 needs that the needs that we have and uh, the finances for them our church here we're trying to raise five thousand dollars just ourselves uh, in the next two months So, that's what we're trying to do, and again, thank you for the many of you who have given and helped with this, and if you haven't given to the project yet, then we could still use some help if God would lead you to help us with this. So, thank you again, and God bless. Okay, so,
0: when they have their opening, and that place is going to be packed out, because I've seen the souls, I've read the letters, people are going to say, wow, what a miracle. Ben did no miracle. You know he was? He was just faithful. Year after year. I mean, if you go back and read the letters. Look, I'm going to show you this young couple when they came to our church on deputation. That's them, no kids. Here's the next one. Growing, next one. Growing, next one. Next one. I think there's one more. No, there will be. <laughs> wow. So you say, Wow. What a miracle. Yes, I agree. But in between those miraculous moments of getting an approval, Palm Beach County would never approve that building obviously. <laughs> we're just day after day after day of being faithful. I mean, Ben did no miracle, but God did. And it's an illustration of exactly what we're talking about. You know what's interesting? When I see a teenager grow up in church and they stand up as a model Christian with character and godliness, one of our young people, I don't see a sudden miracle. Man, I see faithful years and years and years of labor, a mother who prayed and wept, taught, brokenhearted, some father who had to get up early stay up late and provide. Somebody had to work in the nursery that they, they went to so they could come to church, some Sunday school teacher, some children's worker, had to be faithful year after year after year. Chapter 11, verse 7. Then after that, saith the disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and go thou thither again? You're going to go through this again? It's dangerous, it's rough, you're not popular, that makes us not popular. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? You There's know, some daylight, you have daylight. If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. He said there's work to do. It is languishing, it is laboring, and then really quick, finally, sometimes it's longing. Chapter 11, verse 6. When Jesus heard, therefore, that he was sick, that Lazarus, his friend, the one he loved, was sick, he immediately went to... No. He instantly... No. It says that Jesus abode two more, two days, still in the same place where he was. What? He lingered? He waited long enough until Lazarus actually died. And you know, as far as Mary and Martha were concerned, the Lord Jesus was late. Matter of fact, too late. Too late when he finally arrived on that scene. And that's why they had this mild rebuke. Lord, if you'd been here, like when we told you, and when you got the news and you left right away, you could have made it, not lingering a couple days. Why did you make us wait? What took so long? That's human nature. What they don't fully realize, of course, not yet, is that the ordinary days, by very definition, is always a time of longing, yearning. The Apostle Paul said, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together until now, waiting for the redemption. Now that's the key, and I'm going to close with this. Yes, it's a time of languishing And yes, it's a time of longing. But what are we longing for? Redemption. It's what we are waiting for that makes the ordinary days, the common everyday days, the day which the Lord hath made. You see, it's not that we're waiting, longing for possibilities. It's that we're longing on promises. You know, Jesus said to them, Thy brother shall rise again. They said, We know in the last no, thy brother shall rise again today. Now, he's going to assure them that in proof positive way that he'll rise again at the last resurrection by going ahead and doing it a little ahead of time, right near on schedule, right now on schedule. And he rose again. You know, they should have never doubted after that, and neither should we. The greater resurrection of Christ Himself and the resurrection of our own bodies to come and the loved ones we have. Christian, the prosaic life is a life of longing, languishing and laboring. But it is always longing and waiting for the glory. And that's why the ordinary days are extraordinary God's given us this day to serve him. If you're waiting in line at Burger King for a Whopper and it's taking three or four minutes, you're impatient. If you're waiting in line for a $500 million lotto, oh, you'll wait three minutes. You'll wait 30 minutes. You'll wait 30 days if you have to, right? It's what you're waiting for. The change is the weight. We long to see our Lord. Everybody in Bethany who loved Lazarus was excited to see their beloved brother, friend, rise from the grave. I've often wondered what Lazarus thought about it. Can you imagine? Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Lazarus was secure and safe in God's arms in eternity. Now he has to come back to this area and this time of waiting. I guarantee you Lazarus, after that, was no longer afraid of getting sick. I guarantee you, after that, he was no longer afraid of the threats of the Pharisees. Oh, we'll get you, because they did say, we need to kill this man after he was resurrected. And what's Lazarus going to say? Oh, no. It's like John R. Rice was in New York City and these kids put a a knife or a gun to his head and he said, you can't threaten me with heaven. And they got scared and ran away. Well, you can't threaten Lazarus with heaven. He knew what he was longing for. Some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Some golden daybreak, battles all won. He'll shout the victory. Break through the blue. Some golden daybreak for me and for you. That's the longing. And folks, actually, it's actually glorious. When you consider what these ordinary days are leading to, we can all say in this room, we'll be faithful. we faithful until he comes. And God's people said? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. That these are days in which, yes, as your people, there are sorrows. And these are times when we must long for your return, to see you again. These are times and days, Lord, of laboring. But we thank you for them. Help us to have the right perspective, the right perspective. on These days in which you've given us to live. And thank you that you gave your son to show us that perspective in Jesus' precious name. Amen.